0: Good morning. morning. God is good. I'm just undone this morning by his grace and his goodness. um, We've been there 14 years, and um, I don't want you to focus on us. I just want you to see Jesus, because one day we're all going to stand before him. And all we want to hear is, well done, thy good and faithful servant, it doesn't matter what you do, if you do it all for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. doesn't matter if you clean the church, doesn't matter if you don't ever stand on a stage, just do all that you do for the glory of God. Do what he's called you to do in your sphere of influence. I don't want people to remember Peyton and Julie. I want people to remember Jesus. I want them to see the light of Jesus in everything that we do and say. And God has just been putting us in a season of breaking, breaking and breaking. And when you think you can't get any lower, guess what, you can. (laughs) You can go lower. And I just, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that he's been faithful. And I can say that so far, I've been faithful to him. And if that's all my life is, it's just being faithful. Then that's good enough. It's good enough. And I want to encourage you this morning to not put your eyes on people. doesn't matter. People come and go. People will let you down. People are imperfect. I know that's shocking. <laughs> Put your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the finisher. He's the one who was and is and is to come. He is the only one worthy. The only one worthy. There's so many stars in the church, we can't see Jesus. Let's shine the light on him and what he's doing. Worry about what people are doing. I'm so worried about fixing me. I don't have time to worry about anybody else. I've got enough problems and enough heart issues to last a lifetime. And I encourage you this morning there is a shift. There is a shift. There's a shift in the earth, there's a shift in the body, but there's a shift in our hearts that has to happen. When when God does fill this altar with people getting healed, are you ready? Are you ready to handle the harvest? Because this this is what has to be ready. It's your heart and my heart before the Lord. We won't have to worry about filling seats if we focus on Jesus. We don't have to worry about it. If we're about the Father's business, he's going to take care of everything else. So I encourage you this morning, if you see a need that in this church Feel it if you can. Do what you can do where you're at. God will exalt you in due time. In due time. And I just I just want to say that as this shift comes, we focus so much. God is going to give us strategies to reach the youth. I know that. There are, there are strategies. It's a different generation of youth coming up. But the shift is going to be spiritual and it is happening it is happening as the guy from spoke about so i just i just want to bless you this morning i just want to bless you and say that i have lived in the goodness of god i have lived in the goodness of god and I just want to encourage you. No matter what it looks like in this world, we are living in the goodness of God, and we want to proclaim that everywhere we go. I don't care how dark it is. God is good all the time. Amen.
1: You're not gonna. Okay. That was off script, but I'm all good.
0: I saw you giving me the eye.
1: No, no, it's the time well thank you that was like the main thing we want to say thank you but um thank you yeah so thank you for um your faithfulness to us your support of us pastor tom the whole team this body has been our family for a long time and um every time we have a real serious need and we make a phone call Um, you guys come through so thank you for that (laughs) it's going to get better I promise (laughs) so we're going to start over (laughs) buenos dias como estan todos muy bien wow It's such an honor to be here to have the opportunity to share the word with you I'm not gonna um, spend any more time we're gonna get right into it we're gonna begin in John chapter 2 this morning if you have a Bible or if you have your phone and and use technology and then just go to John chapter 2 we'll be at verse 13 Uh, I want to tell you in advance that this message as most of my messages happen when I come to the States this message comes with a a warning from the Surgeon General that it could be dangerous to your health. If you are a comfortable Christian, if you are a lukewarm Christian, if you are a carnal Christian, then this will be dangerous to your health. Something will die today. But what comes alive will be so much better it will be authentic. It will be real. It will be eternal. It will be from the heart of Jesus. That's my prayer for you this morning. Apathy will go in Jesus' name. This is not meant to condemn, but it's a call to self examination for all of us. And I'm preaching to myself. I always preach to myself. to live our lives worthy of the calling that we received in Christ Jesus. So before we begin, let's pray real quick. Father God, I thank you for your great love for us. I thank you for your word that you have not left us in the dark, that you have revealed who you are and what you desire and what you plan to do to us through your holy, infallible, perfect Word. God, I ask you to speak to us this morning by your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. As Tom said, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, I ask you to pour it out upon us. And God, make your word, this word, make it alive in us. We don't want to be hearers of your word, only we want to be doers. So make your word alive in us by your spirit, by the spirit that lives within us. In Jesus' name, amen all right john chapter 2 we're going to read verses 13 through 17 it's a familiar story it says after this he went down this is jesus to capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples and there they stayed for a few days and when it was i'm sorry that was 12 when it was almost time for the jewish passover jesus went up to jerusalem in the temple courts he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables, exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables to those who sold doves. He said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house to a market? That's not even the word. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus is just beginning his public ministry. It is the time of the Passover. There are hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem at the time, and Jesus is not really on anybody's radar yet. But that's about to change and he's not slowly like working his way into view he is lighting up the radar screen like a rogue missile aimed at the the false religion and and idolatry and and false worship of the day the the paganism and he arrives at the temple and he finds that there were men conducting business within temple courts. Not outside the temple. The service was a good service. People came from far away. They needed the animals. That was fine. They needed to exchange their money to pay the temple tax. No problem. But they were in the temple courts. Specifically, they were in the court of the Gentiles. Now, the problem with this is that this is where people from other nations would hear about the God of Israel, and they would come and the Gentiles, this is as far as they could go, but they would come into the court of the Gentiles and this is where they were allowed to seek the God of Israel, the one true and holy God. To seek him, to pray for him, to learn about him and the Passover was the perfect time for all these people to come and to get into the court of the Gentiles, foreigners, to seek the God of Israel which was always in the heart of God to seek the God of Israel and to learn the perfect time to learn about him. All of the history and the Passover and all, it would make sense like no other time to these foreigners. But these, these men were in the, this area, and they were crowding it out, and they were conducting business in there. They were exploiting the people. There was greed. They were exploiting the people by charging ridiculous prices and exchange rates. And the religious leaders, the people that God had held responsible to to care for the temple and to, to, to take care of the worship of God, they were not only allowing it, approving it, but even, many believe, participating in it. Well, if you let us in here where we can really make some money, we'll give you a little cut. We don't know if it was a slow drift into compromise or a radical departure from the will and the Word of God. But listen closely now. Jesus saw how the idolatry and greed and worldliness, worldliness of the surrounding culture, somebody, worldliness of the surrounding culture had actually invaded the sacred space that God had designated for people to seek him and pray to him and worship him and find him. Jesus was not going to allow that to continue. He couldn't. Why? Zeal for his father's house consumed him. So in his righteous anger, Righteous anger, the kind of anger that that is anger but does not sin, the kind of anger that hates what God hates. You know, God hates some things, right? Even in the age of grace, even in the church age, God, God still hates things. And God's people are to hate what God hates. He made a whip. Oh, uh, you know, I don't like that Jesus. That don't sound like the Jesus. That. Oh, that's not, that, that's not the New Testament, you know. Oh, yeah. He made a whip of cards. Now, I do agree that it was for the animals, not for the people. That's my, to drive the animals out. All he had to do was speak to the people. He sent the sellers out. He drove the animals out. He cleaned the house. He turned over the tables of the money changers. I mean, Jesus was ticked. My father's house would not be a market. How many of you know that what is going on in the house of God should not look like what's going on outside of the house of God? How many of you know this morning that what's going on outside the temple of God, the temple of God should not look anything like what's going on inside the temple of God? These people, Gentiles, they came to learn about God. What Jesus understood is they're going to come here and they're going to see this and they're going to think this is acceptable. They're going to look at the church that looks like the world and they're going to think that's us. This is going somewhere. They were coming to seek God. They were coming to know Him. They believed it. They probably couldn't even find a place. Can you imagine trying to find a place to seek God and it's two lambs for the price of what? I got some turtle doves and a good deal over here. I'm trying to worship here, dude. What's up? Oh, well, I mean, this don't work. This ain't working for me. I'm out. It's too crowded in here. All these animals. (laughs) My words cannot do justice to the intensity of this scene. I still don't understand. There's something miraculous, supernatural going on. He should have been arrested. I'm talking about Jesus. The, The authorities... The temple guards, they must have been paralyzed by the power and authority with which Jesus cleared his temple. In verse 17, the word word tells us that the disciples, now they barely knew him at this point. I think they might have like a couple weeks hanging out with Jesus. I mean, you don't know anybody in two weeks, right? They barely know him, but they saw what he did, and they saw the response. And what clicked in their head was a messianic reference from Psalm 69 verse 9. That's what they remembered. Psalm 69 is quoted about a half a dozen times in the New Testament to refer to to the Messiah. And here the disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for his, my father's house will consume me. Zeal for your house will consume me. Psalm 69 was written by a worshiper, King David, a passionate worshiper. And it was from a time when he was calling the people back to faithfulness, back to worship, back to obedience. But what David received in return was criticism and rejection and hatred and mistreatment, trying to call the people back. It seems that people don't like to be told that God is not pleased with them. that they're wrong, not in David's time, certainly not in Jesus' time, not today. But zeal for the Father's house consumes me. It was true of David. It was even more true of Jesus. And who will it be true of today? The King James Version says, zeal for thine house hath eaten me up. Sounds like like southern Israel. I'm eat up with it. Definitely southern Israel. The Greek word for zeal here actually refers to heat, like boiling water. Boiling up. It was a a heated emotion, a burning passion that was consuming. Our God is an all-consuming fire. And that can be for something good or something bad. Holy love or selfish jealousy. And zeal is not a single affection, but an intensity of all the affections. Jesus, his zeal was an all-consuming passion for the glory of God, for the glory of his Father. It was an uncompromising commitment to the truth. To worship that honors God and his will and his word always. Jesus was consumed with holy and zealous love for his Father. and for his father's house, for you, for me. Holy and zealous love. And he moved in zealous judgment. Yes, Jesus moved in zealous judgment against the religious system that had corrupted the house of God and perverted the worship of God. We're not going to read it for time, but when the religious leaders asked Jesus to prove with a sign that he had authority to do what he did, it's always funny looking back, but I mean, we got 2020 vision, and they were blind leading the blind. Jesus shared the gospel. Now, it was in veiled language, they didn't understand it, probably just ticked them off even more. But later, after his death and resurrection, the disciples recalled that was the gospel. Jesus preached the gospel. I'm going to clear the house. I'm going to preach the gospel. Jesus explained. That he would die and be raised three days later. He'd replace the temple. They didn't get it. In the Old Testament, worship centered around the temple. All of it. You went to the temple to meet with God. But now, true worship, true worship. True worship would center around Jesus and only Jesus. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus would fulfill the purpose of the temple. He would become the perfect and final sacrifice for sins. He would become the place where people come for atonement, for forgiveness, for salvation, the place where people come to meet with God to be reconciled and united with God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the gospel. Every true believer would be filled with the very presence of God. As Tom said, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead would come to live inside of every believer. That still blows my mind. We would become a temple. The temple was beautiful to Jesus. His father had designed it to a T. Direct from the heart of God, everything about it to point to his son, to point to Jesus. Jesus looked at the temple. It was beautiful. He cleaned it out. It was more beautiful. But then he said, I'm going to replace it. That points to me. Now it's all about me. You glorify me. And I'm going to put me in you. And you're going to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I don't feel like a temple. <laughs> feel like an outhouse. Anybody feel like an outhouse? Not today. A temple of God. Now fast forward to the early church. Apostle Paul. This man who was a zealous persecutor of the church, radically transformed by Jesus from Saul to Paul, who became the zealous apostle, preacher of the gospel, one of Peyton's heroes of the faith. I mean, this dude took it. He took it. They beat him to death, left him for dead. He got up and went back into the same place. You're going to have to bring more than that. I'm sorry. It's going to take more than that. He was seriously like over my dead body. We say that. We don't really mean it. He was like, no, I'm sorry. You're going to have to kill me. Nine lives kind of dude. He was a temple of God. Why would he stop? Why would he give up? He understood it much better than I. You'd be amazed at the things that make me want to quit. Sometimes it's just plain pitiful. but the Spirit of God won't leave me alone. Knocking on the door. Get up! My mercies are new every day. Get up! I'm not done. You know how you know I'm done with you? You wake up with Jesus. Paul, his words from the heart of God, challenge us with zeal, to be consumed with zeal for the Father's house. He tells us in Romans that the Jews were zealous, but their zeal was not based on knowledge. It wasn't based on the truth. Paul also, he had been zealous for God, but he said it wasn't based on knowledge. I persecuted the church. I was an idiot because I was ignorant. I thought I was serving God. In the fourth chapter of his letter to the Galatians, Paul was warning these Christians against a group of zealous legalists. They were, he said, they're trying to draw you to be zealous for them, which is for no good. Zeal, zeal is a great thing, it's, but if it, it's got to be for good. Islamic extremists are zealous, but for no good. He says they're drawing you away from the truth. They want to isolate you from the church. And Paul tells them, and he tells us this morning in verse 18, it's great to be zealous if the purpose or the cause is good and to be so. How often? Always. Always. It's like pray without ceasing. Okay, I hear that, but... Wow. Dude. Be zealous always. What greater purpose? What greater purpose is the calling that we have received in Christ Jesus? What greater cause is the cause of Christ? The declaration of the good news of the love and grace of God expressed in Christ. The salvation that he purchased and he offers to all men. Our commitment not only to declare the truth of God, but to live it. To stand for it. The only truth that saves, the only truth that heals, the only truth that delivers, the only truth that brings life, real life, eternal life, the only truth that honors and pleases God, the only truth that transforms lives and relationships and marriages and families and communities and nations. If Jesus doesn't come back first, tomorrow morning, billions of people are going to wake up. Some are waking up right now. And their feet are going to hit the floor. And they're going to begin a new day. And the great majority of them are lost. On the path that leads to destruction. All of them are pursuing something, worshiping something, living for something, serving something. And many of them are zealous about it, but not based on knowledge. And they need Jesus. And they need this truth. And they need a church. That is, as Paul writes in Romans twelve, eleven, in spirit inspired words, never lacking in zeal. But maintaining, keeping their spiritual fervor. Their spiritual passion and commitment, serving the Lord. Yes, it says, serving the Lord. What are you living for? What are you pursuing? And I want to ask you this morning, this is where we're going. Who are you going to be? Who are you going to be? In this mass of humanity, as as Tom said, in the chaos of our present age, where great numbers, great numbers of people that confess Christ are abandoning the truth. Large denominations that were founded on biblical, solid biblical foundations in our day. Are having meetings and deciding to abandon the Word of God. And it's not just here, it's all over the world. They're either slowly drifting away from the truth or rapidly moving to align themselves with what is popular in the culture. That's what it is. We don't want to be offensive. We don't want, we, we, we're going to line ourselves up. You guys make the decisions. We'll line up with that. The plumb line, you weren't in the prayer room this morning, you don't know what I'm saying. The plumb line, the plumb line is right here. You line yourself up with this, because if you don't, you're on the wrong path. There's only two, life, destruction, narrow, wide, few, majority. You can't walk with the majority and walk in this, I'm sorry, the Bible is clear. I mean I wish that the majority would come but they're not God has always had a remnant God has always had a remnant doesn't mean we won't have great revivals I believe we will the shift I think part of that is a greater separation going to be? Redefining marriage. Rejecting gender distinctions created by God. Approval of things that God condemns as unnatural. Even in the New Testament. Even in the New Testament. In grace and love. And listen, we need to be careful because probably some of your reactions is, oh, here we go. We need to be careful that we're not condemning one list of sins and approving of another. Well, my son's living with somebody and doing what they do, but them darn homosexuals, they're going to hell. We better be careful. The list is not just immoral. It's greedy. It's lust. It's gossip. It's people who divide. Create factions. It's it's all or none. You can't straddle it. It don't work. We need to be careful. Because when we do that, when we pick a list, and we make a big deal out of one group, but we minimize the sins of another group, we deserve the criticism we get and based on that nobody should follow Jesus they're not gonna come the reality is that the Bible's not unclear but most of these fatal errors begin when this is called into question The moment this goes, everything goes. This is not Golden Corral. This is not Golden Corral. You don't get to come and pick what you like and leave the rest. Your words are like honey. I want to eat them all. They're all good. They're all glorious. They're all true. They taste like honey. When Scripture is questioned or outright denied by people that call themselves Christians, they claim to know him, but by their actions they deny him. By their lifestyles, they deny him. When this word ceases to be the word of God, and you approach it like a buffet, you have no solid ground. This word is a lamp to my feet. It shows me where I am. If I'm in or if I'm out, this word is a light to my path it shows me where i'm going or where i shouldn't be going if you don't have a light and you don't have a lamp you are lost and you will never get back home this is what we're facing We're going to face it more and more. The fork is in the road. I'm telling you, the fork is in the road. And you will decide. Every one of you will decide. Possibly at great cost. It might not be that far away. Possibly at great cost, you will decide. Who you're going to be. Will you be consumed with zeal for the father's house or will you go with the flow and join the majority? Comfort, this is important, comfort and apathy and lukewarmness, this is why it's dangerous. It will never stand up to the pressure. Never. The undertow that will pull you away from the truth is so strong coming from this culture so the wave of what we're seeing is so strong that level of christianity will never stand i'm sorry it won't they will suck you right out of here Zeal for the father's house will consume us, or the culture will consume us. Does anybody know what I'm saying this morning? This is not new. Shouldn't surprise us. Bible's clear what's going on, where it's going. Okay, this ain't a, This is not a. Uh, this do not receive fear in Jesus' name, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. Greater is He that is in the temple than He that is in the world. Don't be discouraged by what you see. God has always had a remnant. Is it sad to see great parts of the church walk into these things? Yes. Does it hurt? Yes. It hurts God. It hurts me. It should hurt you. If you love what God loves and you hate what God hates and you have zeal for the Father's house, it should break your heart but it should not stop you. In fact, it should inspire you. Because as, you've heard me say this a bunch of times, as the world grows worse and worse, the church must grow better and better. Wickedness and lawlessness will increase. Rebellion, as Tom said. Sadly, the love of most will grow cold. That's what Jesus said. Before the end, the love of most will grow cold. And this is what is happening. And here's how cunning the enemy is. He cloaks all of this, and you're going to experience more of this too. You stand with God. You stand with his word. He cloaks all of this so that the ones that truly love God and, and truly love people, the ones that are truly zealous for good, based on the truth, based on knowledge, a passion for God and his purposes, a desire to see people saved, healed, set free, experiencing the joy of living a life that pleases God, we are labeled as unloving. We lack grace and compassion because we refuse to go with the wave of culture, expect it more. While those that are zealous to please people and not please God, zealous to fit in with the culture at large whose zeal is not based on truth, they decided that they know better than God and so reject this truth. They are blind leading the blind into a pit. But the world sees in them a Jesus that they can accept. Oh, that's the church I want to go They approve of everything I approve of. It really doesn't matter what God says. Here's the interesting thing the Jesus that cleared the temple, he wouldn't be allowed to preach in their churches. Jesus, that is God in the flesh, could not be an elder or a leader or go in and speak the word of God in their churches. That is incredible. Who are you going to be? Where will you choose to stand? It's not going to get any easier. But this is not bad news because the word of the Lord stands forever. Our God does what he pleases in the heavens and the earth and none can stay his hand. We can know we are saved. We can have confidence. We can move forward in faith and zeal for our father's house. And we can know that until the heavens open and Jesus comes riding into town, he's still working, he's still saving, he's still healing, he's still delivering, he's still bringing revival, he's still building his church, and he is definitely still on the throne. We just need to be prepared. And we need to be sure where we're going to stand. We need to be zealous based on the truth. Zealous for Jesus. No matter how few. No matter how few will stand with us. No matter how few will stand with us. No matter how much it costs. I can promise you that in the end it will all be worth it you might not have any friends and family left when it's all said and done on this earth but you will have a family that you cannot imagine and a father and a brother (laughs) that will make it all worth it and that'll be and that'll be forever where's it come from where's this zeal come from i love what paul says because i know what paul went through and i know, he, says, he says he says the love of christ compels us the love of christ compels us Why is apathy so sickening? Why does he say the lukewarm he will spit out of his mouth? Why does he say that? The Jesus that is full of grace and truth, why does he say that? Because the compulsion should have some degree of proportionality to the love. The compulsion that we have should in some way be in proportion to the love that we receive through Christ. And when it's not, when God looks and he says, this is what my son has done, and this is how you respond, what father would not be offended? His love compels us. What the holy love, by, by seeing and savoring Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus in every situation, in every problem, in every challenge, when the world is throwing stuff at you, fix your eyes on Jesus because it is through seeing and savoring Jesus and seeing and savoring Jesus and seeing and savoring Jesus that that love is so real and so alive in you that it compels allows you to be zealous for God. Paul says, because we're convinced there's your faith we're convinced world can say what they want, they can do what they want, whatever I tell you what we are convinced that one died for all. We are convinced that God so loved the world that He sent His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. We are convinced that Jesus died and three days later He rose again for our salvation, for new life, abundant life, eternal life. We're convinced. And those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And if you love me, you will obey what I command. You can't receive me because my words have no place in you. Well, I want you to know, Jesus, this morning that this word, it has a place in me. Every single dot and tittle has a place in me. It doesn't make me special, it doesn't make me perfect. It doesn't It's by grace, but I will not abandon this word. Amen. Peter said it well. Where else are we gonna go? You have the words of life. You think I'm going to go with the world? They don't have any that satisfy it's all a lie it's all a lie god is not a man that he should lie my words are spirit and they are life we are convinced that jesus is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through him And his, his love compels us. Paul says, We don't judge the world. They're lost. We shouldn't expect them to do anything here. Until they know Jesus, what reason would they have? I mean, all that false morality and all that junk, it it doesn't mean anything. You come to Jesus and all this becomes alive, okay? But Paul tells us that we are to judge those inside the church. A lot of people, it's amazing how many people in the church don't understand that. They say, oh, well, Jesus said you can't, you can't judge anybody because if you judge them, you're going to be judged. Okay, well, get myself ready to be judged by God with the blood of Jesus over me. Okay? And he clearly tells us there's a difference. And if I confess Christ, then I am expected to reflect Christ. And to live according to his word not perfectly a lifestyle of repentance grace compassion for others but i will tell you that you will have to make a judgment it's unavoidable when the when the fork is there on any issue you will make a judgment and it's okay to look at that group, yes, that group, and say, I'm sorry, but they're not going with the word of God. I'm not going with them. Um, excuse me, but can Jesus teach in your church? No, this Jesus. Oh, what, then I ain't interested. We're over time, but. You know what Paul says right after that I didn't go there but you can look it up later second Corinthians 5 14 and 15 he says that we're convinced one died for all and therefore all died and he was raised to life again and those that live those that live through Jesus those that find life through Jesus should no longer live for themselves but for him who died and was raised again, they should know can it be any blacker and whiter than should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again. The love of Christ compels us to be zealous for God. To have zeal for the Father's house. This house and this house and this house. God, I ask you in the name of Jesus. God, I ask you to pour out zeal in the house right now, God. By your Holy Spirit that lives within us. Fill your temples with zeal for the Father's house and where there are things in our lives that are perverting worship and we are receiving less than the best that you have for us, God. I pray in Jesus' name that you clear the temple today in Jesus' name. You you cast it all out in the name of Jesus. And if you need a whip, grab it and go to work in Jesus' name. God, I thank you. I thank you that your love is incomparable. I thank you that your grace cannot be measured. I thank you that no one deserves it, but you pour it out on us freely. I thank you that Moses dreamed of the day when people would... Have your spirit with them always. And I thank you, God, that we live in that time. Let us not be afraid. Let us not be discouraged. Let us not be disappointed. Let us wake up every morning. Let our feet hit the floor. Let your love fill us and compel us. And let us leave our homes with zeal for your house. And let us make sure that we have influence in the culture more than the culture has influence on us. Let your church rise up and walk in your truth and be your salt and your light and your love. In Jesus' name, amen.